Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio, so use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states, FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. Dial 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Dial 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Dial 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Dial 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit www.mahelpline.org slash problem gambling. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Dial 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. Quick show for you today. We're just going to hit three games from last night. The Golden State Warriors lost their ninth consecutive road game against a red-hot Clippers team that has now uh, won four games in a row. The Philadelphia 76ers came back from down double digits in the second half to beat the Cavs in Cleveland, albeit without Jared Allen. 
And then the Boston Celtics having some late game issues again, barely squeaking out a win against the Wolves when they led by 14 points in the second half. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So we're not going to talk about the uh, the Lakers today, kind of like what I talked about yesterday when Anthony Davis decided to sit. That suddenly became a losable game. They don't have a healthy center on the roster because of what happened to Mo Bamba. So they gave up 70-something points in the paint, and they got their ass kicked. It's just kind of the unfortunate reality of the Lakers in their injury circumstance, but I don't think the game really says much about who the Lakers are as a basketball team, so I'm not going to talk about them today. Um, but let's get to that really interesting Highly entertaining game between the the Clippers and the Warriors. So Clippers win 134 to 126. Uh, Warriors could not get a stop in the second half. I think the Clippers had 74, 76 points, something like uh, uh, high 70s points in the second half of this game for their fourth consecutive win. They really dominated this game physically, which is something that I kind of expect in this particular matchup without Andrew Wiggins or Gary Payton. The Warriors lack perimeter size. It's just the reality, and the Clippers are one of the best perimeter size teams in the league. And you know, but as has been the case for the Warriors all season. I said the same thing going into their matchup with the Clippers without Steph Curry at home. I think it was like a week or two ago. And they handled the Clippers. And so, again, the Warriors are capable when they're really locked in of overcoming some of these issues. They just haven't been able to translate that to the road. Uh, They got dominated physically in this game. They got out-rebounded 44-36. to They gave up 16 offensive rebounds for 27 second chance points. That's basically the difference in the game. Um, That that was a 16 to 7 offensive rebounding advantage and a 27 to 11 second chance points advantage. So literally the difference in the game. The Clippers also forced 16 turnovers leading to 20 points. And that's what's unfortunate. You get a 50 point game out of Steph Curry. Literally one of the most ridiculous scoring runs that I've seen in a long time. We've seen lots of scoring runs. Yeah, Steph, only 21 points in the third quarter. We see big scoring quarters often. But the Clippers were completely locked in defensively in that quarter, and they still could not do anything with Steph. Every single shot he hit was absurd difficulty. Capped off with that weird step-through scoop shot that he made to finish the third quarter. He played as good as you possibly could in that quarter, and the Warriors lost that quarter. And that's just the reality of their personnel shortcomings. Um, The Warriors shot 8% better from the field in this game. Can you imagine how hard it would be to lose a game when you shoot in the mid-50s from the field? 8% better than your opponent, but that's what it comes down to. That 16-7 offensive rebound advantage, that's just buying you extra possessions. 27-11 in second chance points, that's converting stops into baskets. It was just, it was a physical mismatch everywhere on the floor. Kawhi Leonard's constantly getting matched up with guys like Dante DiVincenzo and Steph Curry and Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole had an absolute nightmare game in the details of the game in terms of his rebounding and point of attack defense. Terrence Mann absolutely dominated that matchup in a way that went beyond the box score, was beating him with back cuts, beating him, just throwing him out of the way to get offensive rebounds, beating him off the dribble. That matchup ended up being a big swing factor in this game. And and this is where I want to talk about aggregate size because again like there are certain elements that you need 
in order to have a functional defense or a functional rebounding team, right? Like one of the big things that we're going to talk about with the Clippers in a little bit is they don't really have a real rim protector, which is a huge part of why they can't protect the paint, right? But they do have a lot of aggregate size on the floor. So they can have some success rebounding when all of those six, eight, six, seven wings are flying around to grab contested rebounds. But when you're looking at these Warriors lineups, like even sometimes when it's Draymond and Kevon Looney on the floor, they'll be out there and it'll be like, Dante DiVincenzo, Steph Curry, and Jordan Poole, which is just really difficult to cover for those guys. There was a bench lineup they used in this game that was Dante DiVincenzo, Steph Curry, Jordan Poole with uh, Jonathan Kaminga and Jermichael Green. That is a very, very young but very athletic forward and then a very unathletic backup five in a three-guard lineup. They're going to get killed in that situation in the physical areas of the game. They're just at too big of a disadvantage there. Uh, Ivica Zubac uh, went crazy on the breakdowns that were happening at the point of attack for the Warriors, getting all sorts of garbage buckets under the rim. He finished with 19 and 16. And Kawhi Leonard just got fantastic shot quality all game long. He finished with 30 points on 19 shots. And, I mean, on the Clippers front, Kawhi, I, Kawhi has been playing at a top 10 level now for more than a month. And it's getting to the point where we have to start taking that seriously when we consider the Clippers as a threat. You know, I've talked a lot on this show that there are, what's this, uh, eight teams that I consider to be championship contenders. The Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Denver Nuggets, the Golden State Warriors, the Phoenix Suns, the Los Angeles Clippers, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Those are the only eight teams that I think can win the title. Uh, those of you guys who follow me on Twitter, um, you guys might have seen me tweet out my current top 10 players list. I just saw someone else tweet uh, of their version of a list out, and I was like, you know what? I got a couple minutes here. I want to see where I think things shake out right now. In my top 10 list, again, caveat here being all 10 of these guys I consider to be top-tier superstars. So there's not that big of a gap between number one and number 10. But I'd have Giannis one, Steph two, Kevin Durant three, Joel Embiid four, because I have him ahead of Jokic now, Jokic five, LeBron James six, Anthony uh, Luka Doncic seven, Anthony Davis eighth, uh, Jason Tatum ninth and Kawhi Leonard tenth. All ten of those guys are top ten play uh, are like legit top tier superstars. And when I go to my list of contenders, every single team on that list has one of those guys, which speaks to just one of my fundamental basketball beliefs. You can't win a title <clears throat> unless you have one of the ten best players or one of the top tier superstars in the league. I feel I feel very strongly about that. The Bucks have Giannis. The Celtics have Tatum. The Sixers have Embiid. The Nuggets have Jokic. The Warriors have Steph Curry, who is playing like he might be even the best player in the world right now. Uh, the Phoenix Suns have Kevin Durant, who's probably the best player I've seen in this particular regular season. The Clippers have Kawhi, and the Lakers have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. The only player in that list of top 10 players that I read off that doesn't have a chance to win the title, in my opinion, is Luka Doncic. And it's because they are in a very similar predicament that the Warriors are in, except for the Warriors can at least look back at this and go, we've got Gary Payton coming and hopefully Andrew Wiggins is eventually going to come back. And when those two guys come back, that bolsters their very specific weaknesses and suddenly lines everything up for them to where their core players can be great at what they're great at and push them over the top. The Mavericks do not have that luxury. There's no reinforcements coming. They have no 
you know, six eight excellent perimeter defender, small forward that's coming back, uh, you know, from a personal leave of absence. They're just completely stuck with what they've got. And so I don't consider the Mavericks to be in that group. But one of the important things for me to consider the Clippers as a legitimate contender was seeing Kawhi Leonard get back to that top tier superstar level. And he's comfortably been there for a while now. So that's encouraging for the Clippers. Um, I wanted to shout out Russell Westbrook really quick. He had 15, nine and seven in this game. He just did a much, much better job of making Draymond Green pay and the Warriors pay in general for ignoring him as aggressively as they did in this last game and in uh, in the game that they played a couple weeks ago. Um, and again, like we're going to talk about this a little bit more when we get to P.J. Tucker when we're talking about the Sixers, but there are a couple of basic things that you can do to remain a threat as an off-ball player when you struggle to shoot the basketball. And first of all, Go to the corners instead of the wings. Why? A corner three is a much higher percentage shot than above the break three because it's just closer to the rim, right? Russell Westbrook made two corner threes in this game. The second thing, set off ball screens. So if they're causing you problems by ignoring you off the ball, go set a ball screen. Go set an off ball screen. Do anything that allows your offensive value to be felt if you're struggling to knock down that perimeter shot. There was a play in the first half of this game where I think it was with Paul George where Russ just went up, set a quick ball screen, slipped to the middle of the floor. Paul George hit him with a pocket pass. He made a little left-handed layup in the lane. And last but not least, crash the offensive glass. So sit in that weak side corner, knock down that three when it's there. You know, when the play's in motion, don't just stand there, go screen for somebody. And then when the shot goes up, Crash like crazy and utilize your athleticism. PJ Tucker is incredible at this. This that baseline offensive rebound crash out of the out of the weak side corner. Russ had four offensive rebounds in this game. It was a big part of why he was, I believe, a plus ten in this game. He's doing a very very nice job trying to find a way to fit with the Clippers. And most importantly, it's a much more natural basketball fit. The ball makes sense to be in his hands as he pushes the pace. He's getting the ball to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in their spots. He's being selective. It's just it's the combination of him doing the little things and actually having a natural basketball fit with the Clippers. So I, I've 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 really appreciated watching Russell Westbrook in a Clippers jersey. For the record, he's won his shifts, meaning he's had a positive plus minus in six of their nine games, including five in a row. The only weird thing is the clutch thing, which I keep talking about. It's just so much harder to make up for that uh, ignoring you off the ball thing when it's in a late game situation and you only have half court sets and teams are being sharper with their box outs and their crashing and their execution, right? And for the record, the Clippers have played seven clutch games uh, since Russ came to the team. They've played four with Russ and three without him. They're one in three when they play Russ in crutch time, and they're two and one when they bench him. So that's the one thing that I want to see them kind of tighten up is stick with not playing Russ in crutch uh, in clutch situations. I think that's where you can maximize his impact. Um, in this four-game winning streak, the Clippers are second in offense. My only main concern for them right now is defensively. Um, they are 25th in defensive rating since Russell Westbrook came to town. Uh, nine games ago, and it, and they've been pretty. They had been struggling defensively for a couple of months before Russ came. So I'm not blaming Russ. I blame it on rim protection. The reality is, is uh, Zubak is an okay rim protector, but he's not a real rim protector. And you know, Plumlee's an okay rim protector, but he's not a real rim protector. No one's getting scared of those guys when they go to the rim, and that's a huge part of why they've been 17th in points in the paint allowed per game this season, and 27th 
in points in the paint allowed per game since Russell Westbrook came to the team. So they're just not going to be able to protect the paint. That's the one thing that makes me concerned about them and why when I list the contenders, those eight teams that I consider championship contenders, I'd put the Clippers dead last on that list. And the main reason why is how are you going uh, to win the title if you don't have a top-tier defensive front court? That's something that I've talked about a lot on this show. You've got to have legitimate rim protection. They just don't. The Lakers do. The Warriors do. And that, that's what makes them the puncher's threat, uh, a puncher's chance threat in a higher capacity than the Clippers are, in my opinion. <clears throat> so the Warriors have now lost nine consecutive road games. The last time they won a road game was six weeks ago against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And my theory on this is there is a certain amount of competitive energy that allows you to overcome your personnel shortcomings, right? Like, you know, the concept of like playing bigger than you are. I mean, I was one of those guys when I was in college, I was only six, six, but I was always one of the best rebounders in my conference just because I played bigger than I was. And so I was kind of utilized as a defensive front court player in, in a way that allowed me to, you know, uh, use my athleticism because I could jump and I had long arms, right? Like you can compete and make up for some of your shortcomings in terms of your physical your physical tools, right? Like I was battling with 6'10 guys, but I just played harder than them and would box them out and jump higher than them and things along those lines. You know, when they're at home, the Warriors can compensate for their lack of size by playing hard. But when they get on the road, naturally, it's harder to get that same level of competitive energy. And the home team is feeding off of their home crowd. And I think you see all those personnel sh- shortcomings come to the surface. Like, they are just in an unbelievably tiny team without Andrew Wiggins and without Gary Payton, who's a 6'3 guard who plays really big. <laughs> like, just he plays like a power forward in terms of his ability to defend and rebound and, 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 and uh, impact the game with his physicality. That's just the reality. He's another one of those guys. Uh, and he was like that when I played in the same conference as him in college. He was one of those guys. He was like defensive player of the year, grabbed a million rebounds. That was what he did from his inception as a basketball player. And so, you know, I don't understand how they like they can overcome this. Steph put up 50 last night. Draymond's competing. Kevon Looney's competing. They're 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 trying. But they just, they just can't match the effort differential the way they can at home. And it doesn't get any easier. They're going to Atlanta next, potentially without Draymond if he doesn't get a tech rescinded. Then they got to go to Memphis. You know exactly what's going to happen there. They can, they can win that game. I give them a chance to. But Memphis is one of the most physical teams in the league. That's going to be a really tough game to win. Then they got to go to Houston. Sounds easy, right? They just beat the Celtics. And beat the Lakers. Now, the Lakers didn't have Anthony Davis, but still have a lot of skill and a lot of good players, and they couldn't win that game. So it's not it's not getting any easier. Uh, ironically, going to Dallas in the, uh, the final game in this trip is the one that I think they should win, but it's only because Dallas has all of the same size shortcomings that Golden State does. And so, you know, but then again, what if, Ky- what if Luka and Kyrie are back at that point? Then you could have a much tougher game. So it doesn't get any easier. Then they come home, but their home games are against the Philadelphia 76ers, who have been the best team in the league since uh, since the beginning of December, and the Sacramento Kings, who are not an easy game. Uh, or excuse me, then the, the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then the rest of their, uh, uh, and the Minnesota Timberwolves are just a really interesting matchup with their perimeter defense. 
Then their schedule loosens up a little bit, and I think their last seven games are pretty easy, but there's two really tough road games in there. There's a road game at Denver and a road game at Sacramento. So, you know, the schedule is not favorable for the Warriors. They really need Andrew Wiggins back, and they're just going to need Herculean efforts from their core players every single night in order to maintain a spot above the plan. I, gun to my head, I still think that the Warriors will end up getting either the sixth seed or the fifth seed, but it's it's going to take it's going to take a lot. They're going to have to really pour their heart and soul into this over the course of the last few weeks. All right, Philly Cleveland. Uh Cleveland went on a nice little run in the middle of this game to get it up to 70 to 57 and then the Sixers immediately went on an 18 to 1 run. And there's a couple of specific concepts that I want to touch on from the standpoint of Philly because one Embiid's rim protection. Uh in the middle of that run and you know we see this a lot with the Cavs, right? Like they start spamming pick and roll with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. And they're digging off of the small forwards that can't shoot. And they're funneling everybody to Joel Embiid. And it just becomes about, can Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell knock down incredibly difficult shots? And they go through these cold stretches. Their offense can get absolutely stifled if Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell aren't making shots. They won an 18-1 to run. And then Darius Garland followed it up with like a solo 7-0 run by himself or seven straight points by himself. And like, they were all ex- incredibly difficult shots. This like ridiculous fading jumper along the baseline. He had like a, this wild running three in transition in the right corner, a really tough floater in the lane. Like when their tough shot making clicks in, they can make shots, but they just don't have the ability to use them as primary advantage creators. Like one of the nice things for Philly's advantage creators for James Harden, Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid is when they're kicking to guys, they're kicking to Shake Milton. He's knocking that thing down. They're kicking to George's Niang. He's knocking that down. Tobias Harris is going to make that corner three. De'Anthony Melton's going to make that shot. And then their core, like, Embiid, Harden, and Maxi, they're all good off-ball players. So everybody can shoot. And so, like, all they've got to do is get over the top of that screen and bring an extra defender into the play. And then once they do, they're just kicking to wide-open shooters that can knock them down. Philly, on a points-per-possession basis, is the number one spot-up team in the league. No one's better. Cleveland is 19th. All of those teams that I listed as the eight contenders, all of them are above Cleveland in their spot-up shooting, even the Lakers. And the Lakers' data is poisoned by the fact that they had no shooting for the first two-thirds of the season. They're a much better spot-up team now. But you get the point. This is like, again, I, do you guys remember when I did the um, the uh, uh, advanced metrics t- uh, rant like two or three days ago? I talked about how like even the data that I use, which is like points per possession stuff on like pick and rolls and ISOs and different play types or lineup data or things along those lines. Uh, even those play type data points, they don't factor in spot up shooting, right? Like if James Harden is coming off a pick and roll and he's surrounded by three shooters and Joel Embiid as his role man, that's just an easier pick and roll to run than it is for Donovan Mitchell with non-shooters around him, right? And role men that aren't as talented as Joel Embiid, right? Like that's why I keep talking about how complicated the game of basketball is. That was not Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland versus Harden and Embiid last night. That's not how basketball works. It was Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell surrounded by one of the worst spot-up group 
spot-up shooting cores in the league for a good team. And Philly's surrounded by the very best, regardless of whether you're a good or a bad team. That is a huge part of the game of basketball. It is a five-on-five sport. You're either creating an advantage for a spot-up player, or the help defenders are staying home and your stars get to go to work. But that's a delicate balance. And Cleveland is constantly playing with Lamar Stevens and Isaac Okoro. Chetty Osman had some misses last night on wide open shots where like his follow through was like corkscrewing and the ball was going two feet off to the left of the rim. Like some nasty misses. But man, like you help off a Shake Milton in the weak side corner. It's like, shit, that's going in every single time. At least that's what it feels like. And per the numbers, it does more often than it does for other teams. Like, that sort of thing really does matter. The one thing that could potentially be the saving grace for Cleveland, and he's only played a little bit, mostly in garbage time, is maybe Danny Green can get back to where he was physically before the injury to where he can guard small small forwards. Like, I covered Danny Green closely when he was with the Lakers. And, like, he struggles a little bit with quickness, uh, but he's a a good big body that can guard bigger players. He makes a lot of sense potentially as that guy who can fill that small forward position. And he's so far, he's knocking down his spot up reps, albeit in garbage time. Like he's averaging two points per spot up possession so far, 16 points on eight spot up possessions since he came to the, uh, since he started playing for the Cavs. But obviously he's got to get back hundred percent physically to the point where JB Bickerstaff can trust him to defend. Um, but like, maybe that's the guy that gives them a little bit more depth there. You know, and then Karis Levert can kind of slot into some of that. But it's just, it's going to be extremely difficult for Cleveland to win because they you can just completely shut down their offense and their front court players can't shoot. Like, I mean, you get to Philly, like even with Philly, like with Philly, you've got Joel Embiid who can shoot and then PJ Tucker who can't, but just like we talked about with, earlier with Russell Westbrook is one of the best players in the league at remaining a threat offensively despite not being a consistent shooter. And by the way, he made a corner three, like he does in the fourth quarter of this game, but then he's crashing the offensive glass. He's setting off ball screens. He's doing all sorts of things to maintain his offensive value. It's just such an important part of the game of basketball that doesn't get discussed often enough. Um, Lastly on Philly, before we move on, Embiid and Harden are so locked in right now. James Harden had 13 in the fourth quarter again last night, a bunch of clutch threes. Um, Joel Embiid is just on a defensive tear, anchoring their entire defense. Uh, he only had five points in the fourth quarter last night, but his clutch scoring has been one of the biggest things that I've been impressed by in the last couple of months. And then their spot-up shooting is off the tr- uh, off the charts, like we talked about. That makes it really hard to double their ISOs or to triple their pick and rolls. That it just it, you you have to send an extra defender over, but if you do, you're giving an open shot up. So like Joel Embiid was operating in a lot of single coverage in this game. And it's because of that spot-up shooting. The Sixers are 34-10 and 10 in their last 44 games. That's two and a half games ahead of second place, Denver, in that span. Best record in the league. That's more than half the season. And, like, I think they match up really well with Milwaukee and not so well with Boston, so it's going to be matchups. But with each passing day, you know, and I, I posited this question on the uh, on my Twitter feed today, but, like, at what point do we have to just consider Philly to be a top-tier contender because they're playing every bit as good as Boston and Milwaukee, you know? Again, I have my same concerns. Can Doc Rivers make the appropriate adjustments and play the right guys? I don't know. Can James Harden maintain his level of effectiveness in the postseason? I don't know. Same thing for a Joel Embiid. I don't know. But based on what we're seeing in this regular season, they're 
checking a lot of boxes. Do you have multiple top tier? I shouldn't say top tier. Do you have multiple excellent shot creators? Check. Do you have great spot up shooting? Check. Do you have great rim protection? Check. Do you have a defender that can guard Giannis? Yes. PJ Tucker. You know, obviously just do better than most. Not do it. Obviously it's more complicated than that. But PJ Tucker did an awesome job on Giannis in their last matchup. There are, what what it comes down to is in these situations, you're going to have to beat Philly four times out of seven. They're going to funnel you to Joel Embiid. They're going to get high quality shots on offense. I'm having a hard time talking myself out of them as a legitimate championship contender. Well, I'll approach it again when we get to the end of the season, but they've been really impressive uh, for a long time now. All right, before we get out of here, Boston, Minnesota. You know, it's funny because I uh, uh, it kind of followed the pathway of a lot of Boston Celtics games this year. Went up big, 14 in the second half. Um, then at the end of the game, their offense stagnates, and then they barely squeak out a win, or maybe they end up losing because of their poor late game play, which is something that has been, you know, it wasn't a problem for the first two-thirds of the season. But, man, as of late, Boston's late game execution has gone almost back to last year levels, which is problematic. Um, it's funny because like there are teams that I watch so much that it just gets to the point where every game I watch them, it looks the same. And that's kind of where I'm at with Boston. And part of that is they're a drive and kick team. They're not an improvisational shot making type of team. They really only have one guy like that on the roster and that's uh, Jalen Brown. They're very much like a machine and they're everything for them comes down to rim decisions. You know, I always talk about how, you know, like field goal percentage at the rim, I think is just as much about making decisions there as it is about your touch or your ability to finish with, you know, English off the glass or whatever it might be. Getting to the rim protector and making a call as to whether or not you've got a good opportunity to finish over the top. And if you don't kicking it, that to me is what swings everything for Boston. And in their big run, I mean, it was a close game at halftime in their big run in the third quarter. It's like guys just making the right rim decisions. Jason Tatum gets downhill. Instead of challenging Gobert at the rim, it's a hook pass over to Horford in the corner. Pop extra pass to Derek White, knocks down a three. You know, it's a little high-low action that gets Jalen Brown cutting towards the basket, engaging the rim protector, kick out in the right corner to Al Horford for three. When they are making the right rim decisions and passing out of congestion under the basket, they get these incredibly high-quality threes, and they're really tough to beat. When they start challenging rim protectors or not trying to drive the ball to the basket and rather settling for pull-up jump shots, that is when their offense falls apart. They are not a good pull-up jump shooting team by percentage compared to the other teams at the top of the league. And so it's just, that's that's the dynamic all the time with Boston. Now, one thing I will say, Minnesota is an excellent perimeter defense team. They're one of the few teams in the league that have the ability to shut off your dribble penetration. And that was a big part of how they got back into this game. And like when they put out their Rudy Gobert with Kyle Anderson, with Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Edwards, that's four outstanding defensive players. And, you know, what was funny is when they had their best success was when they would attack Mike Conley. This kind of goes to what we were talking about with entry points, right? Like I told you guys a lot about this when we were talking about Denver. When when you, it doesn't matter how good your perimeter defense is if I can get you into rotation. Once you're in rotation, like 
like if if Jason Tatum is closing out at me from 15 feet away, I, I can shoot a I can shoot a catch and shoot three. Like it just doesn't matter, right? Or if I if if you're a really good shooter and Jason Tatum is 15 feet away from you and he's sprinting out at you, you can pump fake and probably beat him off the dribble, right? Like in an advantage situation, it just it doesn't doesn't really matter how good you are at a, as at defense. You're you're given such a big advantage, you can capitalize on that play, right? Like. That's why it's so important to get the defense into rotation. And so even one guy, Mike Conley, gives you an opportunity as an entry point to get the defense in rotation. And there was a key play down the stretch of this game. It's 95-93. And Malcolm Brogdon just wasn't trying to go to the rim, wasn't trying to beat Rudy Gobert with some tough layup. He just gained, He just dribbled past Mike Conley just a little bit and got Minnesota's defense to react just a little bit and threw a kickout pass to Marcus Smart against Kyle Anderson, who was closing out at his right side, and Marcus Smart ripped through to the left towards the middle and made an and-one layup. Like, that to me is the, the, the definition of that concept. If Marcus Smart is attacking Kyle Anderson, like, from a standstill, he's probably not beating him. But if he's got an advantage, now he can beat him to the middle and finish at the basket. That, to me, is the dynamic that allows you to attack an entry point and have success. And that is why I don't necessarily care how good defensively guys like Aaron Gordon and Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Bruce Brown are. If J- if Jamal Murray's out there, you can beat him off the dribble, and you can start the wheel. Once I start the wheel, there's two. There's another slow-footed center on the floor too, right? Like That's where that defensive comp- uh, concept comes in. And what I think is so interesting about that is that's a Minnesota team that has way better defensive talent, and they were able to have a couple of uh, possessions of offensive success just by attacking Conley. Um, part of the reason why I think they struggled is they didn't attack Conley enough. Like there, there was a bunch of possessions where Marcus Smart kept trying to get Jaden McDaniels on a switch, and I'm like, dude, like Jaden McDaniels is one of the best perimeter defenders on the league in the league. What are you doing? And like he scored on him one time. He had this like kind of wild layup underneath the rim that he made. But like that's that you're not going to win that battle very often. And so offensive decision making continues to be my main concern with Boston. I wasn't as concerned about it throughout the regular season, um, but as of late, they're kind of regressing a bit, and that's concerning to me. So I hope they can tighten that up because they're going to need to be sharp in that area to have any hope of winning the trophy. Um, but like, I, I will say I, I was impressed by Minnesota in this game. They did a really good job containing the ball, um, and preventing Boston from getting into the driving kick at the end. Anthony Edwards, he settled for a bad three late. It was like one one ninety nine. He took a, a contested pull up three that he missed, but like he had a lot of success just bullying his way to the basket. And I've talked a lot about how him, how he's like a downhill power guard. And you saw a lot of that against Boston's wings, where like they would slide their feet and you know kind of have some resistance to Ant, but he just blows through that shoulder because he's so damn strong and he's got such a low center of gravity. And he was he was magnificent at, at the end of this game. He, he was uh, had had some nice playmaking stretches as well. You know, I, I'm really really excited to see where Minnesota goes in the coming years. They just need to shore up a couple positions, namely that Mike Conley position, and then getting. Basically, just a better version of Kyle Anderson at that power forward uh, at the power forward spot. All right, guys, that's all I have for tonight. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. We're taking off tomorrow, and then uh, we'll have a video coming out on Sunday morning. That's breaking down the games from Friday and Saturday night. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support, and I'll see you guys on Sunday morning.
Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.